Hey guys, it's Dawn. If you would like to hear the How My Parents Raised Me podcast ad-free, and if you would like access to subscriber-only episodes, join me in the What's the Truth community. You can join via the Apple Podcast app. There's a link right there in the app. Or go to whatsthetruth.supercast.com. Links are in the show notes. Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. It was because of her quite militant parenting, and that came from survival mode for my mum. It was how she coped with having young kids because we must have been such a massive trigger for her. And I know it now since I've had my own kids and how much they trigger me. And my mum's way of parenting just will still just come out of my mouth from, from nowhere. And since I've had my own kids and I feel these huge, distressing, overwhelming feelings when my kids, you know, break the rules or make a mess or scream or break something. My instinctual, like a flash of lightning reaction is utter fight or flight. And I go into fight exactly like my mum did. Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me, I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls and the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives. And what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives. And that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand what makes you, you. What makes you the absolutely unique human that you are. 
Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story, what happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. Hey, beautiful souls. I'm so excited to be releasing this week's podcast episode. I'm chatting with one of my favorite humans in the world, Emma, and we actually chatted for so long and in so much detail and depth that I'm going to be creating two awesome episodes out of this conversation. So this week we've got the first half of the conversation and there's just so much goodness here. Emma is an artist, a creator, a light in this world, a unique and beautiful soul who has been on a journey and can give insight into that journey in all its raw emotion, devastation and beauty. This story is about how when we don't allow our kids to just be, be themselves, have their emotions, be who they are, and when we don't give them the permission and a safe space to express those things with us, we're losing our chance, our chance to be their guiding light, our chance to hold them and to save them, to share information and stories and light their way on the path of life. Because when we shut them down, we're shutting down the relationship, the trust, the understanding, the understanding that they can come to us for anything, for any reason. And if your kids know that they can come to you for any reason, that they can express exactly how they feel, what's in their mind, how they're struggling, if they're lost, lonely, sad, all the things, if they can come to you with that, That's it. That's a huge piece of the puzzle of life solved because then that child grows up knowing that they can be themselves, that what they're feeling is important, that their emotions are important. And that leads to self-love and self-worth and a world full of more well-rounded and caring humans. And that's got to be what we're all aiming for. Please join me in hearing Emma's story. Hey, Emma, I'm so excited to be chatting to you today because you're one of my favorite people in the world. The words that come to mind when I think of you are artistic, sensitive, expressive, and dreamlike with your art and your words. And was that who you were when you were a little kid? Oh, I'm going to cry already. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, no, it's really nice, isn't it, when people see you and, you know, describe you on a level that speaks to you. And I think think that was what I was like as a kid, super sensitive, also pretty, with that sensitivity, quite volatile um and I think that's normal for a kid who's sensitive and empathic because I'm seeing it with my own four-year-old daughter now she's exactly the same um and I encourage it I encourage her to feel 
through those big emotions but it's kind of scary sometimes because she she really goes she goes there um but yeah i was sensitive very um quiet a hundred percent dreamlike and always been artistic always always was drawing and scribbling and then over paper always on my bedroom floor I don't know why and I still gravitate towards doing that now I've got a desk and a nice chair but I'm actually happiest on the floor which is really bad for my back <laughs> I'm getting on a little bit now so I'm like oh I can't do this um but I feel so happy on the floor drawing that's like my happy place so carpeted floor <laughs> <laughs> A little bit, little bit of comfort. So what are your earliest memories of your dad when you were a little kid? Oh, yeah. Just my dad was the joy in the house. Um, I, my earliest memories of my dad was just him playing with me and he'd play monster and he had this huge snarl. <laughs> <laughs> like really he'd go for it and I would squeal with delight and me and my brother would run and hide in the cupboard and he'd be the monster and I remember so vividly um enjoying his company and I was a hundred percent a daddy's girl uh just gravitated towards him and we had the most amazing connection yeah really special Oh, I love that. And um, and what about your mum? What was your relationship like with your mum growing up? Well, I feel um, I feel really sorry for my mum actually because as an adult, I know I now know what was going on. You know, uh, just adult life. Um, I was going to swear then. <laughs> <laughs> I never know. I never know if I can swear on podcast episodes, but. Um, you know, uh, we all know as grown-ups, uh, especially in a family with young kids, there's so there's so much responsibility, isn't there? There's so there's so many things to think about and hold up. And my mum had a lot of pressure on her shoulders because um, my dad had got into trouble financially on multiple occasions. Um, and so, looking at it now from an adult lens. I know why she was how she was, which was just very distant and methodical in how she parented. Um, so I always look back on my relationship with her and my memories of her are not, they're not warm. Um, I don't have that softness that a lot of people who I've spoke to about their relationship with their mothers have I find that it's either oh they were my best friend or they were completely cut off and emotionally absent I haven't really found a kind of middle ground when I talk to people but yes the memories of her at that time was just very she was solidly supportive in a in a way of making sure we were you know dressed warm fed on time got to school on time all of the the sort of the, the 
day-to-day logistics happened and happened well so uh, I can't deny there's a safety in that um but the bond wasn't there yeah yeah so I mean we've spoken about this a bit before because we can have the most loving and supportive parents and they can be really really good people and yet as kids growing up there's this disconnect where feelings emotions and needs are just not acknowledged or encouraged and it can be just because that's the experience that our parents had themselves and they don't even Mm -hmm. necessarily know how to give or or understand that that's important. So, yeah, tell us a bit more about how that felt growing up. Yeah, you're 100% right there on every single level. I don't think, I mean, to this day, my mom definitely doesn't realise that that's the path that she took. She, she didn't know any different. It's just exactly what you've said from her childhood that is that's the tools that she had and it would be it, it even still it would be a very very difficult conversation to bring that up with my mum because when she talks about our childhood she says oh you and your brother were my brother's name Sam you and Sam were so good you were such good kids. Um, and she's always said that we never caused any trouble. We never stepped out of line. We never broke the rules. And I think about it now. And it was because of her quite militant parenting. And that came from survival mode for my mom. It was how she coped with having young kids because we must have been such a massive trigger for her. And I know it now since I've had my own kids and how much they trigger me. And my mum's way of parenting just will still just come out of my mouth from from nowhere and since I've had my own kids and I feel these huge distressing overwhelming feelings when uh when my kids you know break the rules or make a mess or scream or break something um my instinctual like a flash of lightning reaction is utter fight or flight and I go into fight exactly like my mum did the brilliant thing for me now and COVID the last 12 months have been the biggest gift for me to bring this to my attention is that I'm starting to see these patterns like and I didn't see them exactly like my mom didn't see them um the only thing I the 
the only saving grace for me when I first had my daughter was that I've always been uh, a really cuddly, affectionate person. And I get that from my dad 100%. Um, but she is, that's not her love language at all. She does not, she's not cuddly or affectionate. So that, that combination left me feeling very, very lonely growing up because when I was young, my dad, um, I think I was four or five, um, my dad started working in London, which was, um, I we were living in Liverpool and so that was a big commute and he was staying there five days a week and my little five-year-old six-year-old heart was completely and utterly shattered um I I look back on that time now and accept and see the huge huge heartbreak that was for me pivotal in shaping me as a person um because when he was gone um my little brain who had he was the only one I had a connection with and my mum had the connection with my brother and I felt so alone and I have I have memories, so many memories of crying into my pillow every night, missing him. And at that point, I was not the connection. There was no connection with my mom. And I knew that I couldn't go to her with my emotions. That is how she parented us to, we, we couldn't cry. We couldn't shout, we couldn't um, rage. Any expression was completely squashed out of us. Um, certainly me anyway. And that was so isolating because um, I just cried and cried in my room. And I remember every night without fail, I would... Um, pray to God and say, God, um, let this kiss reach my dad. And I would kiss my hand and blow so hard. And I'd go <gasps> really hard because it had to go, it had to get all the way to London. And he felt so far away. Um, and over the subsequent years, um, the everything I, I mean I don't know how many times it happened but it felt like every single weekend when he was supposed to come back he always didn't get his train he always had to work more um he pro he promised so much that you know that he'd come back for birthdays and I just remember my my heart feeling broken over and over and over and um not not having that comfort that I so desperately needed from my mum um and and I don't think she was aware I don't think she was aware of how heartbroken I was um she'd she'd done such a good job of 
um, not letting us express ourselves, I never took that grief to her ever, you know. Yeah. And I, that's why she thought I was a good kid because yeah. I didn't take anything to her ever again, <laughs> pretty much. Wow. The way you describe that, though, that's just so heartbreaking because I think when our kids are like five, you know, you, you don't think there's any there's that much depth there, right? I, I feel like, you know, oh, they're upset or they're crying or whinging or whatever and it's just an irritation and it's just annoying and and you just need to, you, you'll be fine, you know, it's all of that, isn't it? And when you describe that heartbreak of your dad not being there, it's like, oh, my God, that's such a, there's so many adult feelings there and yet as kids we are so often just shut down and you know and told not to feel and then I think obviously as we get older we then don't really know how we feel because we were never we we often don't even understand that this emotion is called this you know I've seen people who say I don't I don't even I didn't even know what the range of emotions were I I didn't know any of that because I wasn't allowed to have any of that so do you think as you were growing up then like did you still feel everything and um it was just kept inside or do you think you kind of lost the ability to feel a bit um I was always a very feeling um I I was always very feeling and I was I would definitely call myself like an emo as a teenager um but it was just never expressed um I never took those feelings to my mum but of course at at that age you get your sort of best friends in school and you get all the other distractions um and yeah I would say the big the the damage wasn't in that I wasn't aware of my emotions it's just that I was I was modeled to suppress them and be scared of them essentially be scared of them because um we when we're children we we learn from our parents' reactions, we, 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 we learn what these big emotions, uh, the power that they can wield. So if you, if there is a, if there's a kid having an absolute tantrum and the mother or father can't, literally cannot regulate their, themselves. Um, and I, I have totally been there holding my hand, hands up on that one. Like when, my kids are having like an off the chart um, tantrum. I, it's nothing short of like agony for me. I have to uh, really go, go in deep, you know, deep breathing, like don't lose it, don't lose it. And I'm getting so much better because of the, I've done so much self-development work over the past 12 months. I'm getting so much better in, um, realizing if I panic and 
scream back, I'm teaching them that that their emo their big emotions are really scary. You know, their big emotions are so bad and scary that they make their mom who, you know, is everything that like and their whole world and they see me lose it, then it is it's that's building this fear of their own emotions when of the knowledge is out there now it's like our emotions they are separate from us it's a very like it's a separate um it, it's a separate thing from who we are as people I mean I shouldn't say emotions thoughts the, the, the thoughts that can perpetuate negative emotions are separate from us and when you can step back from it and distance yourself from the feelings and the thoughts that's when you can override it quite easily and bring yourself back to a place of love like hold on a minute I love my kids they're three and four and they're crying because they wanted the plastic spoon oh no they wanted the metal spoon this literally <laughs> happened this morning and then you know and then if you can if you can step back enough and pull yourself out of that then riding over it is so, so important. But, but that's it. Like, I'm only, I'm 34 now, and I'm only just being able to see this pattern. Uh, thank God. Thank God. Thank God, because um, my kids are still so young that I can um fix a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that I've done uh, and I don't I don't have judgment on myself and I don't have judgment on my mom um because there's nothing like being in somebody's shoes to know why they did it you know and I'm lucky enough to be in a generation that has so much more understanding and knowledge on this subject at my fingertips um and that's why I love and respect what you are doing here Dawn so so much because I um I think it's the key to just the whole like liberation of the human race is is all in here and I didn't know it um, I didn't know even the half of it until um, COVID happened. And in the first lockdown, I had to be in my house with my two kids. And I had, uh, I had a really bad, I, I don't want to say nervous breakdown. I don't know what constitutes as an official nervous breakdown, but I had to go to the doctor's and say uh i can't do it i can't do it i can't do it and i don't know what to do and they gave me some tablets that lower your blood pressure so, and basically kind of knock you out a little bit um and um that's that was the beginning of this uh this road that i've been on of of digging into 
it started with realizing that I couldn't be with my own kids that intense, intensely, you know, intensely. Um, and looking at that uh, made me look at my own, um, my own upbringing. And it all was the puzzle pieces then that I started putting together. Yes. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, like you have little kids and every day is just a massive trigger. They're just being kids. You're dealing with all the stuff that's going on in your head. And then you go to a doctor and you say, I can't do this. And you get given a drug. Like the whole thing just sounds so ridiculous, really. When you, when you know, how it actually all works and it took me a long time to figure this out and like you say it's so great that you're actually able to figure this out when your kids are so little because when you do figure it out you're actually going to be changing all of your lives for the better in in just the most amazing ways just through understanding what's going on in my head and how that makes me react and it's all so simple when you know it it's just that most people don't actually come to that realization millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. No, I am a hundred percent with you on it. And, and it's not easy. It's not easy. But if you are listening to this and you're like, like me and really struggle with your kids, your young kids, the process is hard and I'm not going to lie, it's expensive. I've been seeing a really good psychotherapist. Re- she has changed my life. I'm, I've had um, 11 sessions with her now. And all of the things that I didn't take seriously, I always looked back on my childhood and thought, I had a I had an on paper great childhood. Yes, it was hard when my dad left. Yes, it was hard when you know we didn't have uh, much money and we had to sell our house and move into a smaller house. Yeah, it was hard. My parents argued, but really, uh, I can't complain. 
I can't complain. That was, that was fine. Like our brains have been conditioned to just go, well, uh, pull your socks up. There are people who have it really hard. Um, and there are, there are people that have, that, that don't have a home or, um, have drug drug addicts uh, parents and and violence in the home and accepting your own story and accepting your own trauma and hurt is not belittling anyone else's pain it's giving you the grace and the love that you deserve and needed you you know i think about little emma and I have gone through so many different occasions of my childhood um, with my with my therapist and cried, cried it out, cried it out and truly saw me for the first time and loved me. And I've got a four year old girl now. I, I know who I, I was, I was this beautiful, lovely girl who just wanted to be shown love. That's all. I so desperately wanted to be shown love and the love that was there. This is the heartbreaking thing it was always there my mom just didn't know how to show it and when I got cancer when I got breast cancer when I was 28 the 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 heartbreaking thing is that that was the first time in my life that I felt like I had my mom you know the mom that I needed so badly for those years when my little squishy mushy brain was developing and creating all these negative patterns to protect myself she was always there under her own trauma and in the face of my cancer and potential death that's what shed all of her own baggage disappeared and I was suddenly held and loved and it was such a beautiful experience and one of the best times in my life. And at the time, I just didn't realize, I didn't connect the dots and I didn't realize why I was having such an amazing time. <laughs> I like having chemotherapy and having breast cancer. I was like, woo! Because I was living a very, I was massively anxious and massively depressed in my uh, adult life. You know, I was so lost and just drowning in, in, um, in my own negative thoughts and the only thing that would free myself from it was was drinking and it was also the only thing that connected me to my family because 
they are all big drinkers and so when I like growing up I lost when my dad obviously he went off to work and then we never really forged that connection again after my heartbreak after he left we never really got our relationship back on track but when I was about 15 uh very young to start drinking but that was that was um very accepted in my family I got a connection with them that was on more of a friendship level and so alcohol for me meant uh you know meant that connection with my parents and so I drank far too much and it perpetuates this cycle that I didn't I'd stopped drinking and didn't want to didn't want to stop drinking it was so unhappy um so and you see it a lot it's like you were you know work uh I the job I had was quite intense it was a really good job but very draining and I just um drink most nights and then go partying at the weekend and binge drink and then it was just this cycle until I got cancer and it felt like the cancer was this huge gift that woke me up from this uh, dream life, this sort of horrible zombie existence that I'd been living. And I know I'm talking so much here, but it's so, so important to the story because as soon as my um, treatment finished, I got miraculously pregnant I, I was I was a week or two out of chemotherapy had lost my fertility so I hadn't um well I thought I'd lost my fertility because I'd had no periods at all I had didn't have a hair on my head and um suddenly I was due to have my um mastectomy operation and in the pre-op results they said Emma you're pregnant and I just it was it was uh absolutely amazing um it was it was a mirror I must admit Dawn it was it was such a miracle I uh, me and my partner like let's just say we weren't exactly at it like rabbits it was you know it would it has probably happened that once it probably happened that that once during the whole of my time treatment um and I didn't have any periods so there was no there was no thought in my mind that that could have resulted in a baby um but I'm I'm, I'm going around the houses here to make this point but basically what happened was the baby the doctor said oh um she's not going to survive the operation and that was horrible they were like we've got to do the operation and give you the anesthetic because it will mean if if you don't do it then it will make these last six months of chemotherapy will have been for nothing you know because we've got to get that um we've got to get that lump out so but she my little baby girl, she survived the operation, which was such a joy. But I was then, I was then thrust into back into life, you know, pregnant, planning for this baby. Um, 
And as soon as I was out of that treatment and on the mend, I'm going to cry, Dawn, because it is so hard. But as soon as I was getting better, those walls and barriers that had encased my mom from me, you know, had like swallowed my mom up from showing me the love that is there underneath. They just came right back up again. And so at the rawest, most vulnerable time of my life, when I brought a baby into this world, a baby that didn't sleep, that wouldn't be put down, that cried, um, I didn't have her support and her, her like overriding disposition with me needing and floundering was, well, I didn't have any help. I didn't have any help when I had you, you know, when I had you and Sam, I was on my own, like, come on, Emma, you know, and, and then, and all the advice was, well, stop breastfeeding then, you know, just put her down and let her cry, you know, she if she was to listen to this she'd go that's really harsh and it would it didn't go down like that um but that was definitely that was just definitely the impression I got she didn't she felt so uncomfortable with how much I was struggling and again it circles back round to just not wanting to deal with uh, somebody who's like her, her daughter struggling. She just can't look at it. Um, and come to think of it, my dad's pretty similar on that front as well. Um, it's very much, we don't talk about mental health. We don't talk about like depression doesn't exist. People have just made that up. You know, <laughs> it's like, um, I, yeah so heartbreakingly I went into a huge depression um after the cancer treatment and when when my daughter was about it was quite a delayed postnatal depression really because she was about six months and I, and I think a lot of it was well it a lot of it was to do with not feeling I felt like that love had gone but I actually only realized that now looking back on it because I didn't put the pieces together that she'd, she'd given me that love during the treatment and then just took it away again. I just thought that I was broken and I, and I thought, oh, here we go again. Like I know the, the, the self, uh, just having zero self love it was, it was, it was really, really hard. But I think having cancer certainly set me on a, on a healing journey on multiple levels. And like I said before, there are so many amazing resources to discover the ins and outs of how our brains work. Um, and so I kind of got on that train and 
have been scrambling out ever since and it's so good to be here today talking to you and feeling like I've moved beyond that place of hating myself yeah and a place of love for myself oh I love that and I can see it you know like even just from when I met you which was probably in about May last year I can see you've changed so much in everything I'm just pausing the chat that Emma and I had for this podcast right here because we chatted for a long time and I've actually decided to create two episodes out of this story. Emma has so much more to share with us. So please come back next week and listen to Emma part two. Thank you so much for being here. Please check the show notes for all the links related to this podcast, including book recommendations. If you have a story to share, questions about this episode, or want to connect in any way, I would love to chat. Please come and find me on Instagram at mybigloveproject. And please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review. Can you think of one person whose life might change a tiny bit in a positive way? by hearing this episode please go ahead and share it with someone you know needs to hear it these stories are so important you are such an incredible soul because you are you you are unique your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story your time is precious and i so appreciate you being here thank you for joining me i'll catch you next week Thank you.